Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. I have with me STEM resume writer, Kate Williamson. Um, I have been a huge fan of her for years. She's a former chemist and product development engineer who today is the owner of Scientech Resumes, a career consulting and marketing firm that works exclusively with science, technology, engineering, and math professionals around the world. Her experiences working in the U.S. and in the Netherlands gave her a unique appreciation for the challenges of finding a a job both here in the U.S. and abroad. Um, And today, STEM professionals seek her out thanks to her industry background, her master's degree in applied chemistry, and her technical writing skills, all of which lend themselves really well to working and conversing with technical professionals. Um, So, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. We've known each other for a long time, so I'm just so happy to be able to talk shop with you. Oh, thank you for having me, Virginia. I know we've been trying to schedule this for some time, and I'm glad that we could uh, make this work. (laughs) Beginning of 2022 is probably a really good time to kick off the new year then. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Tell me what prompted you to pivot from chemical engineering to what you're doing now? So it's a bit of a longish story that can really be distilled down into three words, (laughs) extreme job dissatisfaction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started my career working in an R&D applications lab in the Portland area, and um, I loved that job. I got to do all sorts of really cool things, um, working with specialty chemicals, uh, like adhesive tapes, industry sealants. I even worked on a paint project once. That was pretty fun. Um, And so I actually probably would have stayed in that environment had I not um, had the opportunity to go abroad to the Netherlands. And that was a job that looked really great on paper, but just ended up being, uh, well, really disappointing in the sense that I didn't get to do a lot of R&D and product development, which is what I was sold on. So basically, the combination of moving to a different country, trying to adjust adjust to a different culture, language, um, and then adjust to this new position that wasn't really that fulfilling for me in terms of where I wanted to be professionally really led to a lot of burnout. And I'm oversimplifying a lot of what happened in this time. Um, But for the sake of um, this conversation, I basically became overworked. I was very stressed, exhausted from the position. So many can relate to that right now, especially it's it's launching so many career pivots. So I'm, I'm grateful that you share that with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and there's a lot of other things I could go into just on this example in particular. But basically, I, I got to a point where I was just literally hating my job, like coming home Fridays, exhausted, sleeping through the weekend. And by the time Sunday afternoon would roll around, I could start to panic and feel anxious just knowing Gosh. that the next day I was going to have to start yeah. it all over. Yeah. Now, during that time, I was looking for basically all ways I could to find some sort of engagement and fulfillment outside of work. And one of those came in the form of freelance writing. And I found that while I was looking for freelance writing jobs, that resume writing um, projects were pretty ubiquitous because, I mean, 
I don't know, let's face it, it's not a sexy type of writing. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, for a few years, I did a lot of subcontracting work, including working for some of those dreaded resume mills that we always warn mm-hmm. our clients to avoid. Um, just on that note, I only lasted about two months at the one that I stayed at before <laughs> <laughs> moving on to some greener pastures. Yeah. Um, and some of those, uh, some of those uh, experiences, I got to work with really established resume writers like um, Jessica Hernandez from Great Resume. I did Fast. too. That's how oh, I started. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, I, for- I just remember that now. Um, yeah. I, just on that note, I learned a lot from her. And the I worked for her there. Yeah, for, yeah, for about two years or so, and then. Basically, through those experiences, I really found a lot of fulfillment just being able to help somebody on a personal level, like just solve a challenging problem, like, I don't know, marketing themselves for careers that they love in STEM fields. And then just I'll close out on that note that there's very few resume writers who specialize in, well, working with STEM professionals. So right, right. I feel that I add a lot of value with it. I've always been a pretty strong technical writer. I had to do it quite a bit in my previous R&D and engineering jobs. But um, that combined with my background in, in working in industry and just having a pretty broad understanding and curiosity in various science and engineering and technical prof- um, professions make me, a, I think, a really good partner to STEM clients. And I've, I've been doing it for the last five years. Yeah. That's incredible. It's incredible. And um, you, no one, very, I, I can't think of one person who comes, graduates from college or goes, graduates from high school and says, I want to be a resume writer. Usually we come about it in a roundabout way, but what a perfect blend of your talents. Thank you. And yeah. I, I appreciate how you really explored other ways outside of your role to find satisfaction and then stumbled upon the career that way. Oh, I, I had to. Otherwise, I was just going to, you know, I was hating life, basically. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, so, I know, yeah. And as I said, I know a lot of people can relate to that. Um, what is, are, there, are you seeing a couple of cha- common challenges facing STEM professionals who are dissatisfied and looking to test the job search waters or make a career change today? I've um, I've seen a couple people looking for remote work. Um, now, I know with, with technical professions like lab jobs, a lot of those have to be done on site. But I've worked with right. a couple of people who have, let's say, worked in medical research labs and they um, want to go on and work in a medical writing capacity. Like those okay. are some roles that they can transition to where they do get to have more of that flexibility working on a remote basis. Um, I mean, I would say that STEM clients are probably plagued by most of the same job search issues as non-STEM clients. Right. But that being said, most of them, well, STEM clients have the added challenge of needing to position and communicate how their technical skills and achievements connect to the greater company, department, or team goal, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and, and you're a lot of times you're writing for a non-technical audience, right? When you're yes. when you're writing these. Uh, yeah, I, I would say it's it, like you're you're really writing for three different people. So we we talk about applicant tracking systems. Then you usually have your frontline recruiter, HR professional. But a lot of times the um the, the hiring decision might come down to a technical person, such as like an R and D manager or something like that. So you really do have to write for your technical, non technical, and then of course your online audience. Right, right, and then that is an added complexity to someone who is than someone who is targeting as a non-technical role. Um, 
Are there any common job search issues that have caught your STEM clients off guard? Or do you think those are sort of similar to what other job seekers also face? Um, I would say they're mostly similar. Um, I mean, you know, most people tend to underestimate how long the job search process takes. Um, I see tendencies to, you know, people underestimating or oversimplifying their achievements. So, you know, you and I both do free conversations, 20 minute discovery sessions with people mm-hmm. before we work with them. And a lot of times I look at their resume and I'm like, you know, I could see a lot of great um great things you've done here at value you offer to these companies and it's not being communicated. Yeah. Um, it's buried or it's, it's doesn't give enough context. They, they, they just, they boil it down and it loses a lot of its value. Yeah. And one of my, I'll just give like a, an example that one, one of my largest client bases are, um, PhD holders across diverse Hmm. science and engineering disciplines who want to leave academia and transition to industry. So oftentimes, you know, academic CVs tend to be really detailed, include a lot of scientific and technical jargon, and it's usually narrowly focused in a specific research area. So a lot of the times with, with those clients, it comes down to making a shift in mindset because, you know, those technical capabilities and achievements need to be balanced with transferable and adaptive qualities to show that they have those skills that govern human interaction, especially in an industry setting, which tends to be more collaborative. So, right. You're right. And the, the academic CV is one where you throw in everything, everything in the kitchen sink in a way that you don't necessarily with an industry resume. It's more of a high level marketing brochure. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I would say just on that note, um, many people tend to be surprised when I tell them that a lot of, I think it's over 80% of new hires are typically based on whether or not they possess the soft and transferable skills that govern human interaction. Because it's one thing to have the technical foundation, which is important to perform the job that they need you to do. But again, if you aren't coachable or you're not motivated or things like that, those are a lot harder to teach than learning how to use a new uh, laboratory instrument. 80% of the candidates, their soft skills are what lead to their hiring versus the, the technical skills. I saw a, yeah, there was a study okay. that, that came out. That. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll have to go look for it. I think it was, it, I've seen it anywhere from like 80 to 85% of new hires are usually based on whether or not they possess the soft and transferable skills. So they might have somebody with a similar technical background, but if they think that one person is going to be easier to work with or fit better within the team than somebody else who might know every technical skill under the sun. Right, but it right. Is, yeah, is not very collaborative. They're going to be more, um, they're, they're going to want to hire that other person. No, I, that makes such sense. And it's what's, I know what I have also seen, I'm curious to see if you've seen this as well is where people might recognize that soft skills are important. So they'll write terms like under their skill section, they'll write, um, you know, cross function, they'll write soft skills in their, in their skill section, um, versus implying it through their achievements. Oh, like actually putting the word yeah, soft, here's skills. My soft skill list. Yeah, here's what I'm great at. Um, yeah. Which people don't search for those terms. It's not a good idea to put those skills in there. You need to imply those those skills through your by by explaining your bullets and showing how you use soft skills. You mm-hmm. your hard skills and soft skills work to to achieve X, Y, or Z. 
Well, and telling stories too. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's another thing that, I, and you probably see this in your client base as well, but a lot of people underestimate the importance of LinkedIn in driving the the job search process. So most people, I think, know that they need one, but they, the space isn't effectively used to be able to tell stories that really go beyond the resume, share more details about who they are, uh, you know, as a person versus you got your resume, which is more of a just the facts approach. That's Whereas, exactly right. Yep. No, hundred percent. Totally yeah. right. It's a conversational, it's a place for someone to hear your voice and feel like they've met you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Much more casual, humanizing medium than the, it, there's only so much we can convey on a resume in terms of the human factor, I think. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, I've been writing LinkedIn for a million years now, and it's it was such a refreshing change when it started becoming more conversational because it did, you used to get, as long as you slap, literally did a cut and paste of the resume, and this is years ago, that worked great. And you were, you had an advantage just by being on LinkedIn, but that those days were long, long gone. Mm -hmm. Nice yeah, to have a place sure. that's more, more conversational. Um, so what is the best piece of advice that you can give to a STEM, um, STEM professional that is looking to begin their job hunt? So there's, I guess there's three things that come to mind. When it comes to starting the job hunt, I think that getting clear on your target industry, including like the types of challenges and opportunities you see in the field is going to be really important. Um, not only does that show that you're interested in the field, but that also does come across to an interviewer when you're, well, interviewing for a position at one of the okay. employers you're interested in. And then on the side of employers, I, I noticed that a lot of people tend to focus on like very well-known and established companies, which I mean, those have the highest level of competition and the chances mm -hmm. of landing a position there are pretty, it can be pretty low because a lot of people focus there where I would say, look at both your large players as well as your smaller and medium sized companies um, as part of your overall job search strategy when putting together a list of employers that you want to work for or people that you would accept a job offer from. And then the Our third list thing that includes sort of highly competitive, small to mid-size that are maybe a little bit less competitive. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then That's the third advice. thing I would say is just to get organized. And I've been guilty of this. Like when I was searching for jobs, I, you know, just being able to keep track of the companies and positions you've applied for. And this can be done as easily as just using an Excel spreadsheet with some of the right. basic info, company, job title, maybe even put the salary wage if that's posted. Um, if you've got recruiter, hiring manager, name and contact details, date you applied, et cetera. Um, so that's just a really good way to keep yourself organized because um, I, I don't know about you, but I remember years ago being embarrassed when I would apply for positions and then get contacted for an interview much later and forget I applied. And then it was kind of an awkward. Amazing how quickly you forget. You don't think you will, but it, the, the names and the dates and the company start to blend together if you don't. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It is as easy as a spreadsheet and you keep it on your phone. Um, yes, I like that. And I love the idea of having diversity in your target list. Um, it sort of reminds me of when you're applying to college and they say have two stretch schools, two safeties, and then, you know, a couple in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I actually, your best. I actually got that advice from this, uh, this great book I read just last year. It's called the two hour job search. It's by Steve Dalton. In, uh, like, oh, yeah. Is he a Duke? Uh, yes. Yes, I believe yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the school of business. And yeah, like I, I actually um, 
it was kind of great to read that book because I, I took a lot of those, um, those tips into my job search coaching and kind of expanded on them, especially that piece. He, he talks about looking at your big, medium, and small players when putting together a list of target companies. So I- Very smart. Yeah. And what about, how is that advice different than one you might share with the STEM person who is comes to you after they've started job hunting. Cause I get a lot of people that are, that come to me and they're like, we've been, I've been trying, I've been looking for a job for nine months and it's not going well. Mm-hmm. Fix my resume. That's, you know, I get a lot of that. What advice do you have to help people regroup? So a lot of those conversations will focus on the types of strategies, job search strategies that they're using. So sometimes from those conversations, a lot of times someone who's been engaging in a job search for a while, hasn't had much results, is um, it could be for a number of reasons. They might be approaching the job search blind. So, you know, sending out as many resumes as possible, Mm -hmm. hoping to get a hit and we know that that approach can feel productive, but right. again, people forget that the right, job yeah. search process is so time consuming. Um, oftentimes they're um, positioned for the role that they have instead of the one that they want. That's probably the biggest challenge I see across um, most people from you know your new graduates up to your C-suite types. It's a big challenge there. So, and then I think, uh, it, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. And then the last thing I would say is that um, on the LinkedIn side, which I kind of mentioned earlier, a lot of people, you know, might focus on the online application process versus actually um, building connections, following their target companies. So I guess to sum up, it kind of it kind of comes down to uh, an unorganized job search process being positioned for the role they have instead of the one they want and uh, focusing on unproductive strategies like online job postings versus well, building and, connections. And what you said earlier about have being clear on your target, that informs yes. everything, right? It informs the companies that you're targeting, how you position yourself, who you're reaching out to, um, how your job search hunt looks altogether. Oh yeah, I mean, have you? Yeah, you've probably worked with somebody who, you know, they're just like, oh, I, I don't really care. I want to get a job, and it's like, well, that's going to be really hard for us to market you effectively. Then, right, right, yeah. exactly. Um, so, what what about that person who says, I, I want to leave academia, but I can, I'm, I'm open to anything. I can do all these things. How do you help them, or what are your thoughts on guiding them through? how to target and and what they should do when they when they could do a bunch of different things as a part of their next move. Yeah, so I would um I would encourage them to try to think of um decide which path is most interesting to them. Now sometimes if it's a, a technical field, they might have knowledge and skills that overlap in a variety of different areas with pretty minimal change. So sometimes mm-hmm. working together, we can uh, get away with just doing a master resume that's pretty encompassing, sure. but maybe needs some changes depending if they're applying for, oh, I don't know, maybe a role in microbiology versus something that's a little bit different. A master list, a master resume that's tweakable. Yeah. Yeah. And then- okay. uh, like with LinkedIn too, I, you know, you only, with a resume, it's a bit easier in the sense that you can mm-hmm. have more than one resume. Whereas like with LinkedIn, it's a little bit harder because you can only have one LinkedIn profile. So 
I usually will try to encourage them to focus on which path they're most interested in and focus more of the content towards that. Yeah, that's what I do too. Um, but yeah. you're right, there are times when some of the skills are can overlap and and you can you can definitely speak to that in your LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, so uh, this is sort of a snarky question, but I'm always curious to hear it. What is there, are there common avoidable, or is there one common avoidable mistake that drives you most nuts when you, when it comes to job hunting in the STEM world? Hmm. I don't know that this is necessarily unique to the STEM world, <laughs> but, um, I, I guess one of the things that, uh, that bothers me is, um, just simply when people over, well, oversimplify or downplay their achievements. Like, and I, you know, it bothers me in the sense that like, I look at, I might look at their resume and just in that time, I see like, wow, they've really done a lot of cool stuff. And they, you know, it's not being communicated in a way that resonates with their target employers. And then I, you know, I feel sad that they're missing out on opportunities that they could be a really good fit for. And that as a result, it's, uh, they're not having much success in their search. Um, yeah. It's funny because there are certain, well, and I know I, I, certain industries, like certain sales roles where the reverse happens, they've overplayed it. And so then mm-hmm. it, and that has a different vibe. So. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of the times people are trying to walk that line, like between sounding overly confident or, or arrogant. And in my experience, most people tend to go on the downplay side of things versus the you know, overplaying their achievements, but that's just my experience. Yeah, Yeah, I (laughs) know. I agree with that. Um, And again, it goes down to, it it boils down to understanding the impact of what you have. I think the impact of what your achievement, what your work has led to and speaking Mm -hmm. to it from that angle. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways I always like, I'll work with some people who might be pretty, pretty modest and feel a little bit uncomfortable when they see the new resume. And it's like, well, are those things that we've written about you true though? And if they say yes, it's like, well, then we're not, you know, we're, we're not being arrogant. We're not being, uh, you know, overly braggadocious or however you want to call it. Like this is, this right. is true now. Is it true? Can you speak to it? Do you have examples? Then it's facts. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. Yeah. No, hundred um, percent. So I'm curious to hear from you about discrimination when it comes to hiring practices. It's certainly something that comes up out, you know, outside of STEM professions. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on the topic as it relates to um, ageism, sexism, racism, all of that, as it relates to STEM careers? And how, how do you help your clients to sort of navigate that landscape? Sure. So uh, one of the challenges that you hear about a lot is the lack of diversity in STEM fields. And there's a myriad of statistics that show that minorities, African-Americans, Native Americans, Hispanics, and people with disabilities are grossly yeah. underrepresented, excuse me, underrepresented in STEM compared with their representation in the general population. Is that um, also with female versus male? Minimum? Yeah. And I'm actually going to get to get to that in a moment because that's something I can speak to from a, from a personal perspective. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, on that diversity note, women are still also vastly underrepresented in STEM fields. And there's been some improvements there um, compared to like back in the 70s, where I think it was like less than 8%. Whereas now I think we're sitting a little bit more around like 27%. So (laughs) getting a little bit better. Yeah. 
Yeah. But um, I, I mean, I remember personally for me, I remember in college and grad school being one of only two or three women in my classes. Oh, wow. Yes. And it's, that, you know, that was especially more common as you got to the more advanced science and math courses. Um, and even in my last industry job, I would occasionally travel to a client site, usually as a technical resource with one of my colleagues in the sales department. And this, all of the people in the sales department were all men. But I remember a few times people thinking at first glass, excuse me, first glance when they would come to uh, greet us and we'd walk into meetings, they would think that I was the salesperson and my male colleague was the product development engineer. So that happened oh, on a wow. couple of occasions. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I would say just in addition to the diversity aspect, there's uh, three big challenges that women in particular face. Um, confidence is a big one. And I think that's especially true in terms of job search behaviors. So, uh, you know, you and I both know when it comes to applying for jobs that women are less likely to apply for a position. Men especially for, they have so much more confidence in terms of applying for roles for which they're less, they meet less of the criteria that women do. Yes. And I, that seems to, from what I've observed, be more prevalent, especially as you get to the more senior level positions. So if women don't meet 100% of the requirements versus men who are more likely to apply for that same position, if they made at least 60. So, right, right. So, I, and then I know for me personally, I struggled a lot for a while in, uh, with a, that fear of being wrong. So that prevents you from speaking up in class, meetings, or just even starting on a new technical project because there was this feeling that I needed to know everything about a particular topic. That, that was just me personally. And I, I confidence is something that can be worked on gradually. And um, yeah. that, I, I, that actually brings me to a second, the second challenge. A big part of that is having the support and appreciation from the team. Um, so the second thing I'd mention is that lack of mentorship. So a lot of women in STEM careers, especially clients I've worked with, have told me that they don't feel like they have a lot of mentors available to ask questions, uh, learn more about a particular career path, or just have someone to ask for guidance when they feel lost. So that's that's another one there. And I know for, for me in my very first job, I felt incredibly lucky that the first lab I worked in was uh, m mostly female uh, employees. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that impacts that impacts uh, career advancement certainly. Oh, it does, and it, just even working there, I I felt like I had a lot of support and people to look up to, and I I think I mentioned earlier, if I hadn't decided to go live and work abroad, I would probably still be working in that organization. I might not even be doing <laughs> what I'm doing now. Wow, is that wild? Mm hmm. Um, and, so you so oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add to that. Some of my clients are first generation college students. So they don't have family in their industry or they might not know anybody in the types of roles they want to pursue. And then this might sound like a bit of a cliche, but that representation does matter and is very critical for you know that professional identity formation. You know, I never even the whole mentorship piece, that was that's something that's honestly never I don't know that anyone's ever brought that up. Um, but it absolutely makes sense if there's a lack of diversity it does make it does make that those connections harder um mm -hmm. and, and it impacts like you said it, it hugely impacts career advancement yes which yes. can lead to dissatisfaction and it's a vicious vicious cycle mm -hmm. and then you know the salary portion that's the third thing i'll mention in terms of challenges women okay. face and 
that's just that's not just um, exclusive to STEM. But, you know, women have historically been paid less than men in a lot of industries. So, uh, you know, we're lucky to live in the age of the Internet where you can find a lot of information about market salary ranges. And I'll just uh, end that that a great book I read on salary negotiation a few years ago is called Women Don't Ask, The High Cost of Avoiding Negotiation and Positive Strategies for Change. It's by um, Linda Babcock and Sarah Lashever. I hope I didn't butcher her name, but it's an incredibly... Linda Babcock, I'm looking that up. What was the other other author? Uh, Yes. So Linda Babcock and Sarah Lashever. Okay. It's just an incredibly well-researched book on the different ways in which men and women approach the negotiation process. And I know I focused a lot on challenges for women here, but all of these, the advice given in this book could apply to men as well. Absolutely. And, and people in, you know, people in minority uh, situations, mm-hmm. whether it's disabilities or ethnicity, um, but that I'm sure that the, the, the salary piece is also tied to the confidence and the lack of feeling, a lack of support and appreciation um, because it impacts how you speak to others and the connections you made so that you feel comfortable having those discussions. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Confidence, lack of mentorship and understanding salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so someone comes to you and says, I'm going to get ready to start jobs hunting. What are a couple of tools that I absolutely need to make a change or get into STEM? What what do you feel like those those tools are that, that, that are key? So I, I've thought about this quite a bit over the years. And uh, Honestly, the tool that comes to mind that's most valuable is an intangible one, and it's curiosity. I've found that my most successful clients, regardless of their career stage, are the most curious ones. So they're going to be the ones that engage in the job search process. And and by that, I mean, they stay open-minded about the different career possibilities and really have genuine interest in researching and connecting with people in their field, looking at different industries. And I would say that it has a lot of curiosity, that is, has a lot of benefits both in and outside of the job search process. So in particular, it makes your mind active instead of passive. So again, that opens you up to those new ideas, possibilities, and excitement. And from a job search context, being curious is going to make it easier to learn new things and unlearn ineffective job search habits as well. For example, like that learning learning agility, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the time and effort needed to plan your job search or, you know, even I've worked with some people who are very limited in terms of the types of roles they want to target or just, you know, certain companies and using certain strategies, like only using online applications, for example, instead of diversifying to ones that have a higher ROI, like, networking and things of that nature. So they're um, more adaptable, they're more agile in their learning and their their minds are active, like you said, versus passive. Yes. And the, the point you brought up on adaptability brings me to the last thing I was going to say on the topic of curiosity is that um, my, my curious clients tend to bounce back much more quickly after something like a really? job loss or a setback. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you do. think that is? Um, I mean, I think a lot of it just, uh, has to, has to do with just, again, being open-minded to the possibilities of what else is out there. Um, I remember when COVID first hit, uh, there was one client I was working with at the time. And, um, when 
a lot of people got laid off in the beginning. She was one of those people. And, you know, she came back to me and was like, Hey, this happened. Like, (laughs) uh, what can we do here? And, um, she had actually been in the process of trying to explore new, um, positions, just kind of in her industry, but a little bit different than what she was doing. And she, uh, just the way that she, she took that, um, that setback, you know, being laid off as one of a thousand people, it was, um, really kind of inspiring in terms of like, oh, you know what? I actually see this as a bit of, I was planning to to go on to something else anyway. So now I see this as a bit of the kick in the butt I needed to make that happen. So I I don't know if that necessarily answers the question. It's just, I I think a lot of it is- No, it does. It's a a mindset change, right? Yes. Embrace curiosity. Love that. Yeah. And then even Um, then, curious people, more promoted, promoted tend to be excuse me, tend to be promoted more quickly because they ask a lot of questions. They were, they have, they take the time to reflect on skills and knowledge that they've developed through different experiences and how those experiences can support them in future endeavors. Well, they ask questions and they do something with the information because they are more agile and adaptive. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, very good. So I know that you have a busy uh, caseload and you do a lot of volunteer work. Tell me what is next for you in 2022. Oh my goodness. So right now, one of my big projects has been upping my content development game. So I'm in the process of launching a line of do-it-yourself materials. So that's including things like eBooks, worksheets, and just other resources that are meant to help STEM professionals beyond the resume writing process. Um, that was something I wanted to do back in uh, like 2020, 2021, but with the pandemic, things got super busy. Yeah. And just didn't oh happen. My gosh. Well, <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. With many other people, th- those plans got sidetracked. So yes. people want to learn more and follow you. And, and when these DIY materials are ready, the Places I have, I've listed in terms of learning more about you. I've got your email, Kate at ScientechResumes.com, your website, ScientechResumes.com, and your LinkedIn. Are those the best places for people to follow you? Uh, those are all great. Yeah, they can also follow me on Instagram at ScientechResumes, or I do have a Twitter account, ScientechHQ, um, where people can interact with me as well. Yeah. Well, Kate, so. Thank you so much. This was really enlightening. Oh, you're welcome. Really good, Thank you for really having me. Good, no, great, great uh, information for STEM folks, but also people, I think a lot of this advice applies outside of STEM. So super helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the goal. Adding value to people's <laughs> lives. <laughs> Thank you. You take care. You too. Thank you. You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online skim hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.